go. Hey, this is Dumb and Drummer, uh, where this is my excuse to get advice from better drummers for free. Uh, so we got uh, the co-host, Jeff, and this is our buddy, Joe. How's it going, sir? It's going amazing. So, Thanks for having uh, me. Real quick, just for people that don't know, tell us who you are. Tell us about yourself. Uh, I'm a professional driver and t-shirt salesman who also plays the drums. <laughs> and I, uh, I'm 36, been playing 25 years now. I should be a lot better at my instrument for how long I've been playing. And uh, I don't know, I'm the mountain man with drumsticks who is constantly pursuing better things. So that's a summation of very poetic. And real quick, can you give us a, a rundown of some people uh, you're the uh, some of the uh, artists you play with? Yes. And real quick, rundown reminds me of the office episode where uh, the new manager asks Jim for a rundown and Jim Halpert spends the entire episode trying to figure out what a rundown even means. <laughs> One of the best episodes ever. Also starring Idris Elba is a great actor. So like that was fun. Anyways, um, I, I play for a lot of sort of heavy progressive acts that are not even progressive, but I fell into heavy music almost accidentally. And I've played for a multitude of bands both recording and touring with uh, A Lot Like Birds, Cian Var, Royal Coda, Kurt Travis' solo stuff. And I've also been a drummer for hire for lots of acts. Um, spent the last, the better part of the last 10 years in the studio a lot, lots of practice, lots of study, and about 25 full US tours, touring internationally, and uh, loving every minute of it, and also constantly pursuing the next sort of thing you know never sat ne never satisfied in a healthy way you know <laughs> so absolutely man i think uh one, one of the things i love about you is that you're, you're always pushing the envelope you're always taking simple ideas and expanding upon them but also being very humble because there's people in the industry that try to like expand on stuff and then they're just like an ass about it you know they don't they, they do it for like ego or they do it for like exposure or because they're trying to create a new genre or something almost, but it's like you do it purely for the love of the music and for the love of the the complexity of music and, and pushing it to the next level. Yeah, I, I appreciate you recognizing that in me. It's it's so funny, the, the <laughs> it's always in, I guess, the, sort of the eye of the beholder, like, I just the see- the no effects in the background? Say what? Did the no effects just start in the background? Yeah, can you? Is it super loud? It's not. It's not. But I was, okay. just, I was funny because you're like on this wall, and then it was. Oh quiet, yeah. And then as soon as we started. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a band that rehearses next to me, and they I swear they've completely played the entirety of Punk and Drublick by No Effects at this point. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, I listened to that album when I was 15. So that's that's but. Um, yeah, so if, if hopefully that doesn't get too nice. It's not, it's not that bad. There's also a guy, and I'll call him out, because I've actually confronted this guy. We don't have to get into it, but there's this guy who has two studios here for some reason, and all he does is bump this, like, sort of, like, techno horror stuff. It's, like, really heavy bass techno stuff, and it's really loud, and then it's in another language, and there's, like, this voice going, da, boka, di, boke, and... It's it's from like nine a.m. to nine p.m. I just, it's, yep. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Is I'll send you like a video. Underground rave or something like that in there. Like, are there are there, are there crowds like lines of people like and and like a bouncer like people receiving need to enter the studio. I think if you asked him, he'd say yes, but no. <laughs> it's it's like it's like parties. Yeah, it's it's like Rammstein without a band. It's like uh, it sounds nasty yeah. and it's that's a great that's a, <laughs> so but thank you for uh, acknowledging the the i mean i <laughs> mine came from an my sort of career came from an obsession with the instrument in that i really liked watching my limbs unfold before my eyes practice was addicting uh realizing that i could actually sit down and spend time with my hands and feet became addicting like watching it's such a physical instrument, you know, uh, 
all instruments are, but with drums, like you can sit down for 20 minutes and instantly see some kind of progress. If you take, if you take it slow, take it seriously. And that became almost therapeutic for me at a very early age. So that has sort of carried on. And then the career and music stuff happened as a result of just sort of circumstance meets hard work, right? Like the luck factor meets the prepared factor. And then, you know, things just kind of handed, you know, ha happened from there, but it all boils down to still being obsessed with the practice craft and caring about pushing myself and, you know, a, a discipline, right? So. So as far as the, uh, the very, very beginning, so you would say a lot like birds would be the first major act that you played with? That I recorded for and toured for, yes, but years before that, this is little little known. Uh, I when I was when I first turned twenty one, I had been playing for some heavy bands and stuff. I was the jazz guy who played hardcore. <laughs> that was oh, you were that guy in the drum in the drum class. I was the like well yeah because I I, I was I didn't know I was doing the right thing at the time. I was just <laughs> I was just soaking up drums. But when I was 16, like, let's look back at 16-year-old Joe. I was playing in jazz band and orchestral, like, symphonic orchestra in high school and the drum line, just because I was, like, I wanted to soak it all up. And then on the weekends, I was playing with a punk rock band called Porkchop, and we were playing no effects covers. So Thick. I kind of absorbed, and then my parents listened to a lot of funk and, like, like Tower of Power and jazz fusion and smooth jazz and stuff. So... I was just having this stuff thrown at me and, but I lived in a small town in Utah, so I didn't really know what to do with it. I was like, is there even a real world outside of my community? And uh, so I became sort of like the guy who could finesse my way into hardcore music in ways that other drummers potentially couldn't. Hmm. That's the only way I can assess it because it was a weird transition. I still played jazz uh, for a while, even in, before I moved to California, I was kicking figures with like some big bands and doing some things there, but it just, I fell into heavier music and it was fun. I, I'm not, you know, it's, it's been awesome, but 21, I got hired. I got a random call to play Warped Tour with a smaller band, but still got a spot on Warped Tour. And they were called Day Two. They're awesome dudes, not a band anymore, but uh, day two, and I just was their fill-in drummer, and I did Warped Tour 2005 at 21 years old, and didn't make any money really. But it was just like you know, it's, it's like being in the military, experience. musical boot camp, right? I was like nothing but Taco Bell and energy drinks, <laughs> and like you know, I lost a bunch of weight and I had a mohawk, and I was just like, this is so sick. And I remember s s watching these artists on stage being like, oh my god you can actually make a career out of this. These guys, and I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. I also recognized how sloppy some of the high paid drummers were. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was watching some of these drummers side stage and I'm like, wait a sec, this guy's not very good. <laughs> oh, but and, the, on the album, it sounded like you played everything perfect. So yeah, it must be a killer. And so, and that is not, yeah. And I'm not, you know, not calling out anybody, but there was a moment where I was, there, there were these, these so many epiphanies. I was like, oh my gosh, like you could actually like make a living doing this. And this is, so I kind of stayed in the heavy music world and I went through a lot of real personal crap that was really, uh, I went through some darkness and moved to Sacramento. And that's when I met up with a lot like birds. And in Sacramento, I just applied my mentors, like never say no to a gig, take everything yeah. you can get. And then I was just, with a lot like birds, wedding bands, playing in jazz trios downtown, and just soaking it up. So that's kind of where it start started. So okay, let's let's take it back one step. Okay. For the listeners that are like, I don't have any gigs, I don't have any bands, I got my kit, um, I play when I can. Like, how how can you connect the dots? Because you said you went from playing basically a hodgepodge of different gigs to playing with a very well-known, very successful touring rock band. Yeah, so... How did you get there? So, uh, again, one thing I try to... I talk to a lot of my students about this, too, is that there a lot of people 
really like to focus on practice and, you know, being the hermit, which you got to do, you got to, you got to be, you got to live here for sure. And I'm not even a very social creature, but you do have to network at some point. At some point you have to sort of put yourself out there, no matter how social or not social you are, you got to be at certain gigs saying hi to people. People need to know your face. It is a very, very social industry. People half the time are, are hiring people, not even because how good they are at playing, but because they know you're a nice person. They know that you're maybe sober or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so the more you sort of insert yourself, annoyingly so sometimes, you kind of have to do that. So that's one thing to consider. Going to gigs that you're not even playing. I don't really do this anymore, but when I was younger, I, I went to gigs. I was like, oh, man. And I'd be jealous, you know? I'd see other drummers playing. I'm like, man, how do I, you know, this... This dude's got like five gigs in this town. And like, but some of those gigs ended up hiring me later. You know, you just show up, shake hands, have a few beers, talk to people. It's such a cliche thing to say network. In fact, yeah. I, saying networking is just like, oh, networking. Or, like, are you on that LinkedIn? before? Like, yeah, so exactly. LinkedIn. Real quick, I just want to tell a really quick story about how the weirdest way I got a touring gig um i was on a walk to go to the store i bumped into a guy to, i bummed a cigarette off of him and he looked like a metal dude and i was just like you know anybody that needs a drummer and he's like uh my band's about to go on a u.s tour and we just lost our drummer <laughs> oh shit and that was how i went on my first full u.s tour and they're they're trying to tell us to quit smoking yeah, no, no. He never. That was, that was a very valuable cigarette that he bummed. And yeah, I went on uh, two tours with that band. I think it was. Wow. Yeah. So I will. So that's that's a great way to sort of add to my next point in terms of finding gigs. My mentor for twelve years growing up. He always said, never say no to a gig. And I never really knew what that meant. I was like, well, yeah, but what if I hate the music? Or what if this, yeah. you know? Well, when I first moved to Sacramento, I decided to take him seriously. And I put myself on Craigslist as a drummer, which especially now it's like, ugh, Craigslist, jeez. But I got picked up by a few random gigs. One of them was like, we played like really sloppy chick career. Rhea and Herbie Hancock songs in like a lounge with like three people. Mm -hmm. That was, it was barely a gig, but I was playing, you know, with some good yeah. players. There were good players, but like no one was there because no one wants to listen to Chick Corea at a bar. But anyways, so I, I um, <laughs> I know me too, but like, <laughs> you know, we had like a, a guy picking up on an older woman and then like a employee. It's like, they don't care, but you gotta, but you gotta I, work with what you got. I mean, there's three plus I was there. gigging. Yeah. The whole point is I was playing and I was learning and they were still calling me out on the, the figures I wasn't hitting. And I was like, you know, and me at the time, I was like, who cares? There's nobody here. They're like, dude, we care. Like, and, and yeah. I learned a lot through that. But one thing, and I'm not downplaying that either, because like I would still do that now. But mm -hmm. I got a cover band because there's a big wedding band circuit in Northern California. Because if you're in Northern California, within an hour's drive, you have Tahoe, Silicon Valley, San Francisco, Napa Valley and Sacramento. And the the upper echelon wedding market there is ridiculous. I mean, we're talking million dollar weddings and that's not an exaggeration. Uh -huh. And so there's a huge sort of like, like competing world of wedding bands there and they're all awesome, but you can charge upwards of 10 to 15 grand for your band to play a wedding. Uh, and that's like pocket money for Daddy Warbucks. Probably finds that in the couch cushions. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah, for yeah. anything for my little girl. It's like, sweet. Yeah. So <laughs> um, so I joined a band called The Hits uh, that, I, that found me on Craigslist. And we were playing casinos making 300 bucks in a weekend, which was the most money I had ever played, uh, been paid playing drums, by the way. And it was two three-hour sets a weekend for $300. Three hundred dollars for you, or even split, or three hundred dollars for the whole band. Three hundred dollars for me. Oh, okay. Um, and it's like fifty you know, bucks an hour. That's not. That's really decent. It was. It was good. It was. It was. It was good. And uh, it was just funny because playing to a casino is hilarious because again, no one's really paying attention. 
Uh, and so I got all my stupid butterflies out where I was like, oh my gosh, what if I screw up Billie Jean? It's like, dude, nope. Yeah. You're not going to screw up a Michael Jackson song. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, sorry, I'm dragging this story out. But what happened is that band ended up not being a thing. And then I went on to my first tour with A Lot Like Birds, which was super DIY and insane and four months long. It's another story. But way later, this is, this is ex an example of like the causality of your choices and why you take what you can get. Because there is the, the highest paid wedding band in Northern California called Wonder Bread Five. Bunch of white dudes playing soul music. Mm -hmm. uh, they were tied into the guitarist from the hits, just because friends. And their drummer was on a country tour and their sub drummer was on a pop tour. And so they called him and said, hey, do you know a good drummer? He said, yeah, actually, this guy last year learned every tune in like a week. Hit him up. So I got hit up by these guys. And I ended up playing the highest paid wedding gigs I had ever could even possibly imagine. I, I got about 20 of those gigs over the course of years. That wouldn't have happened if I hadn't done that Craigslist thing. Yeah. And so you never really know where and i ended up becoming good friends with those guys too so like you never know what where your choices are going to take you so don't think too hard about like what the now is just just take what you can get and and so and so you know when when people say how do i get gigs it's just inserting yourself uh being confident enough to show up and be like hey i'm not perfect you know i'm gonna make a few mistakes might get a few dirty looks from the bass player i don't know but and there were there were gigs I failed. I auditioned for a few jazz fusion groups that were like, nah, you're not our guy. And a handful of other things. I didn't get certain gigs. And I think that's actually a good point because uh, you should also be going out for gigs that you're not going to get, in my opinion. Like I auditioned for this band uh, here in Austin and I had tracked all the drum parts out in my program and everything just as like a safety net because mm -hmm. they have, it was like a vamp band. It was like they just take a keyboard riff and just vamp that riff for like three minutes. Mm. And their lead singer was female, kind of like Rage Against the Machine sort of style. So it was almost like a, okay. it felt sort of improv -y. But I was like, I want to nail the changes. It's really important to nail the changes. But when we met up, he was just like, nah, we're, I think we're good. We, we, we like this other guy better. And it's like, I don't want to say no. I don't want to only audition for the the gigs that I feel like I'm gonna have the best chance of getting it's just like a job it's like if you're looking for a job you're like well how many interviews do you have coming up just one the job that I want okay that's dumb as shit like you need to have like ten interviews lined up because if you yeah. want to work and you want to get money and you want to do that work or whatever that work is you're gonna have to not put all your eggs in one basket yeah and that that that's a good point it's a very good point and another thing to even add on to that is uh, I'll reference Stanton Moore's start to music where Stanton Moore, for people who don't know, a, a Nolan's funk masterpiece and a really great dude. Um, his first like paid gig was a polka tour. He did a polka band tour and he did it begrudgingly like, uh, fine. <laughs> he claims his like dead roll he does where he does that like all the the dead roll stuff. Mm -hmm. He claims that he came up with that idea on that polka tour. And that's how he added flavor to that. And that's like now his signature thing. So when at his clinic, he was like, I'm that's like the that's the tour I was most grateful for out of all the things I've ever had, because it just it showed me that there is nuance, there's possibilities in everything, and even the things that don't seem like they're good or it's kind of up to you, right? You turn it into something epic. <laughs> yeah. Find yeah, a way. Yeah, I mean, it could be like, uh, Brett, you have a lot of experience with like pop punk bands, right? I mean, mm -hmm. but you've also done metal. Like I've played with um, cover bands, uh, straight head rock, uh, soul influence. I'm in a post-hardcore band, all that. But all that stuff, like, I feel like it's like a skill set. Like it will, like one gig, figuring out how to work with like a lead singer. And maybe you guys had yeah. um, had some friction, but but you buried the hatchet. You figured it out. You you move forward. Then all of a sudden you get to another band. And you're like, holy shit, this is like the same situation. But I know yeah. exactly how to handle it. So there's a I'm not sure if politics is the right, but it's like it's like interpersonal dynamics that. And to your point earlier, like I want to work with a guy because 
we like him because we don't because he doesn't fucking snort blow all the time and he's not late for rehearsals like and exactly he knows his shit like okay well that's like the Phillips head screwdriver of being uh you know in, in your toolbox if you will like that's something you can take to any gig anywhere anytime and add value yeah I think something social media does to us is it kind of makes us feel like we have to be a phenom to get any gig like you have to be an outlier to even matter in the industry it's like couldn't be further from the truth they exist for sure but like another thing my mentor always said there's 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 plenty of gigs to go around like mm -hmm. there's so much music being made don't you know <laughs> and, and to to what uh jeff was saying about like you know take gigs that you don't even think you're gonna get uh like there's been a few gigs i didn't get but there were a couple i did get and I remember being like, okay, I'm a little in over my head. Uh, like there was a, a funk, uh, they, they were like funk rock. So there was a lot of funk stuff in there. And, uh, you know, I had the rock part down, but that, that really nailing that funk stuff was a little different for me. And yeah. then did a psychabilly tour, which is like, you know, there's, again, there's a little punk rock in there, but there's also a little swing to that, which is like, okay. And so, but I had to kind of force myself to adapt to those styles, which it was kind of cool because it wasn't completely, you know, there was that, like I said, it was like a funk rock and a punk with uh, the swing. So there was that little transitional for me, but I, it, they were gigs I wasn't sure I was going to be able to pull off. And uh, they forced me to kind of learn new techniques and new styles. I, that's a, that's a, those are great stories and a great point because you have being adaptable is another thing, which is, I mean, we could take this into a million directions, but being able to sort of assimilate certain styles, like not even not even mastering them, but like, hey, can you put this together in two weeks? You're like, yes, I'm gonna treat this like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn this new thing in these two weeks. It may not be perfect, but most artists aren't looking for perfect. They just want you to be, to care, to practice it, to honor it, and then to be human, you know? And especially right now, like, I, I just tracked, and it's something I haven't really shared with a whole lot of people, but uh, I, I have never been hired to play drums for anyone until a few days ago. I've tried, I, I've discussed it and everything, and it's been, you know, hey, you didn't get it, or uh, we, did, we don't like the part or whatever, so it never became a transaction, but this was like a, Hey, this other drummer, blah blah blah. There, there was a story, and I, and I got paid to do the track, and he loved it, and I was able to to bring in a lot of like my recording stuff that I've worked on. I didn't get a video of it because I really wanted to like I video videoed one take, but I was like I just want to focus on the track. But going to the studio and putting in the work. Well, yeah. the story he told me was, hey, I should have hit you up first, blah blah blah. But he's like the other drummer took five months to send me a track. And I was like, okay, and I want to just be like, come on, man, you should have just dropped him. But it's like, it got me thinking, I'm like, how many other people are treating this like, it's like something to do on the side for fun. Like, well, I'm going to pay you. It's like a job. Like, and yeah. how do you do your job? Like, do you show up on time? Do you, you know, do you apply the training? Uh, do you, do you take feedback along the way? You know, are you good compared to your peers and things like that? But the music industry is like, so baffling because you can just drag your feet on this shit or you can do it half-assed or you can you know say fuck your feedback or whatever but it's just so different and it's like to be able to be able to be hired by so many people and have everybody have a good experience is like kind of hard to even wrap my head around with with my limited experience in in just trying to track for people for money yeah the, the sheer amount of work I've gotten just based on reliability alone is kind of almost sad. Well, <laughs> Not sad for me. Like, but... Those lazy people or the people that can't do anything on time or whatever, you need those people to kind of make you look good almost. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you're the person who can like, uh, like a really good example is uh, I did two tours with We Came As Romans who are not music... I particularly listen to they're great guys um and of course had a very tragic uh event befall them a couple of years ago but the like that's not a circle i'm in at all but the metal metal circle if you will yeah sort of the, the sort of metal core i guess like okay. and they were kind of i learned being with them that they kind of 
pioneered a little bit of a sound that a lot of bands kind of jumped onto for years, which is kind of this metalcore, synthy, heavy stuff that's like just technical enough, but then there's these big poppy choruses. Uh, when I found out when their first big record was released, I was like, wow, you guys have been sort of pioneering this sound for a while. Uh, but that's the last band I pictured myself being, like playing for. Uh, I didn't know much about them, but I remember getting home from the Cianvar tour at like 4 a.m. And the next morning I woke up with a voicemail at 11 a.m. saying, hey, I got this band that just needs a drummer who's reliable, who can learn songs quickly. Wow. And I was like, and of course, I had just come home and my then girlfriend, now wife, like, how do I look her in the face and be like, yeah, I'm leaving again in a week for a month. And uh, <laughs> and she told me to do it. She was the one who was like, in fact, the, this is an even cooler story because she was like, are you kidding me? This is what you're built for. Go do it. And that was the week I proposed to her. Nice. So, yeah. That was when I was like, oh, my God, this is like the human that I <laughs> meant to be with. But um, so but when I had the phone call with him, I was like, all right, I haven't played double bass in like a year and a half. I but I can promise you if you give me the right pay and, you know, the right amount of time and stuff, mm -hmm. I, I can treat this like a nine to five and drill these songs and get yeah. them to about perfect playability by the time the tour. And they trusted me. Maybe I just came off confident. Maybe it was the recommendation. I think they, yeah, they even paid for the double kick pedal because I didn't own one. <laughs> wow. They bought you a double kick pedal. They bought me a wow. DW9000. <laughs> okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, shout out to those guys because they, they took a risk a little bit, but I don't know if it was the recommendation or my confidence, but I did. I From literally nine to five with a lunch break, every day I just drilled like 13 of their songs for about a week and a half. Nice. And I flew out there, and I felt way out of my element, like disgustingly out of my element. But first show, like first show, we were direct supporting Parkway Drive. Those shows were massive, and I just I fell into it in three days of the tour. Within three days of the tour, I was like, "All right, these are these songs are feeling Dude, second nature." I, I bet within three minutes of you sitting down for that rehearsal, I mean, or whatever the first live setting they were like dude knows his shit because i mean it doesn't take that long to to, to hear if somebody's shaky or if you're True. like eh, this part's a little advanced you're you know if you're shaky now god only knows you know a month down the road what you're going to do when we're live you know yeah in fact i'm not you know i'm not just trying to throw out all my accolades but another example is when i when i flew to australia to play with amity affliction dude we were playing groove in the moo which is like it's like it's like Coachella in Australia. These it's like a big festival with like eight, twelve thousand people, mm -hmm. and I rehearsed for three weeks, a forty-five minute set, not complex music. No offense, Amity, whatever. It's not complex, but mm -hmm. I, you know, there are some nuances though. Where and so I went out there. <laughs> this is ridiculous. We had one rehearsal. We went through the songs once, and I was like expecting like two straight days of rehearsing because these yeah. shows are giant. After the first run through, they're like, "Oh, mate, that was pretty good. All right, we're done." And I was like, "No, no, no, wait a sec. I, I want to <laughs> keep." They're like, "No, no, man, you clearly practice. Like, you're fine." I was like, "Dude, no, I want to get more comfortable. Like, we should yeah. rehearse these more." Like, "No, nah, we got a photo shoot." <laughs> so after one rehearsal with these guys, walk. That was a weird moment with butterflies. Walking on that stage in front of that many people, having only one rehearsal under my belt was like, I I was pretty sure I was gonna just fall apart, but made it work. It was, <laughs> was maybe they just knew. Like sometimes you just know you you get the you get the vibe from people, and you're like, dude, dude knows his shit. Or maybe it's like a cultural thing in Australia. They're like, I don't know. You seem you seem nice. Are you ready for Australian Coachella? And let's let's go. Yeah, but pro probably. Also, probably having played those songs 10,000 times, they were like, let's just not do that again. Hopefully, yeah. you won't mess up, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. I don't know if you noticed, but I am repping the um, the CN Bar merch here. So Nice. Uh, the, that's cool. I appreciate it. Omniphobia. Yeah, that, that, uh, that show you played in um, Mesa in the basement of uh, the Nile. 
Yeah, tiny where, shows. Where you did the, the VIP, and I still have the, the little picture from the little Polaroid camera. That's I was seriously them. like, heaven, man. Just like you guys played was, all the CNVAR songs, the entire catalog. Was that was that um the that was the stay lost like sort of farewell like we're gonna play every song off the record tour? Yes. Man, that was a fun tour. That was crazy. <laughs> and I'm that still was... um high key upset that CNVAR is not putting out music. Me too. Uh, and and I, I think uh, there, there's only a couple bands that I was like, if I had unlimited funds, I would just throw like a shindig and just be like, I want to book you, name your price, name the time, and I'll get Daddy Warbucks money or whatever I got to get. <laughs> and and I'll, 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 I'll bring you and, and I got to bring my, my boys from Emory out as well. Oh, Emory's. Dude, Emory was on the, the 2005 Warp Tour I talked about. We yeah. shared a stage with Emory. So wow. I got to see them in kind of their their like element where they every day they had a different getup. So one day they'd all be wearing like Hawaiian shirts. The next day they'd all be wearing like shirts and ties. And this isn't like hundred degree warp tour weather. And the next day they'd all be wearing like jerseys with wigs on. Those guys were unreal. <laughs> they, they're still. They, I just went. I just uh, watched a live stream for them uh, like two weeks ago or three weeks ago. That's so cool. And and they included a vinyl with it that's going to be here like next month. Beautiful. Uh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was. It was. It was awesome. Great band. All right, what do, what do we got next? Let's see. Um, so, uh, so, are you writing a drum book right now, by any chance? Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, I am desperately grasping at straws to try and organize my ideas, <laughs> which is the biggest challenge. Uh, good ideas I might have, organization I may not. But I, it may not be ready for years to come, but I, I think I've told Jeff this before, but I, there's so much drum educational material out there. It's endless. And there is still room for more, obviously, because it's such a deep concept and subject. But weirdly enough, despite all the stuff that's already out there, there were certain ideas that I could hear drummers doing that I still couldn't really find the material to cultivate my own skills in that department. Um, and listing them would be very technical and you know, subdivisions and going over the bar line. And you, but so utilizing the stuff I learned from my drum teachers in the past and my own little innovations that I've had to come up with in my own practice routines, I was like, I have the tools to develop these systems. I actually, if I actually sit down and be analytical about it, I could map out systems and loops to get myself better at these ideas. Also things that, you know, all the stuff in the bands that I've been in, a lot like Birds and CMVAR and Royal Coda specifically, all the most popular, like the most common stuff people say, hey, how do you learn how to do this thing? And noticing what people hyper-focus on, I'm like, man, this is stuff that I didn't really know I was developing something potentially innovative, but it seems like perhaps I did. Um, and I know how I practiced those things. So, you know, when you release a drum book now, it's going to have a plethora of things that are also in other drum material. There's going to be so many crossovers, it's ridiculous. But Like, hey, here, here's how to play a paradiddle. It's like a paradiddle. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, right, left, I mean, right, right, left, right, left, left. Wow, that's tight, man. Yeah, go go to Google and type in paradiddle drum lesson and let me know the number of how many <laughs> yeah, yeah. hits you get. Yeah. Millions upon millions. Yeah. What's ironic about that, this is this is why I love this instrument. Is what's ironic about that is that you could probably watch all 1 million of those or however many. And no ego, I could probably show you a new way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's cool about this instrument is there's so many different lens to look at it through. Mm -hmm. So my my drum book and educational material will essentially be how to look at these things through my lens. Um, little layers to add and subtract to common things that you probably already know how to play that will help you develop them further. You know, uh, most drum lessons feel like this, hey, show me this two bar, you know, 32 note pattern that I've never played before. It's like, you're, you know what? You're never gonna memorize that. What we should do is take vocabulary you already have under your belt, but put it in a new light, you know? It's like 
It's like trying to learn a new English phrase by learning Japanese. It's like, no, it, like you already know all these letters and words. Let's learn new ways to use them and phrase them. And so it's it's taking single strokes, double strokes, paradiddles, their inversions, all the rudiments, and placing them in subdivisions, and time signatures and situations that uh, that made me better at a, as a drummer. And I, I feel like it could and it'll be broken down in to time signatures and subdivisions and then also independence exercises. So, you know, and that's, that's a big, that's a big thing people forget is that the subdivisions are very different from the time signature. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's amazing how many ways you can play in seven, you could play in seven, eight, seven, four, you could also play septuplets in various time signatures. Uh, it's, you know, there's, and there's so many ways to feel all those. Sorry, go ahead. This is one of those things where definitely like uh, time, breaking down time signatures and stuff like that is one of those things that it, it's, uh, I feel like a, uh, uh, my, me personally, uh, I don't understand a lot of that. I mean, I understand like four, four, five, four, but like when you start talking about sevens and stuff like that, that's when I like, and you're talking about something that breaks this down more, right? Yeah. Yes. It will be a way for, I mean, if it's going to be a, and actually I'm going to release it in a series of mini chapters. So you could okay. actually download like the chapter in seven on its own, if you felt like it. Oh, nice. You don't have to get the entire thing. And my, my goal is to have a, uh, a little like barcode or what, what's the thing, the QR code, QR code. and to have a, a simple video example of nice. every page. So, I mean, like I said, this is a big project. I've started on this other aspect of it too, which is that there will be loops, 10 to 15 minute loops within those subdivisions and time signatures that are basic synth loops that have no drums so that you can try out these ideas over the loop. And the loops will also come in BPMs from 70 to 100 to 120. So you can start, they're the same loop, but slower to faster. So you can start out by going super slow and you don't have to be bogged down by like a boring click, click, you know, metronome. You're playing along to this loop. You're trying out all these exercises super slow. And then you can be like, well, okay, I got this other MP3. Let's bump it up to 120. And then you can test your metal and be like, oh, these patterns I got, but this one I got to work on in a hundred. So, and then to like blistering speeds for the, for the crazies. And so, uh, you actually have like a drumless loop, not a song, but like a synth loop that might be kind of satisfying to listen to, maybe in the context of the subdivision or the time signature that you can play along to, to see what works at slower tempos, what works at faster tempos. The point isn't even to play every example. That's absurd, right? There's endless examples. But to get you into this mode of thinking where you're like, oh, wow, I really like this example. I'm going to forget the book for a second and just spend some time on this and make it my own. You know, it, it will, it will very clearly cover what it means to be a time signature, what versus a sub subdivision um, and whether or not you're playing over the bar line and it'll have what I deem to be common motifs in those uh like phrases and rhythms like this is a seven that everyone's gonna want you to play <laughs> yeah. and this is a this is a five that you could pretty much play in any setting in five and no one will fire you you know <laughs> um <laughs> in my opinion this is just from what i've learned but it's it's a big project and i don't really know exactly where it's headed but it's a really fun thing to shoot for and um you know we'll see Right. Well, and I really respect it too because there's a um, uh, my my buddy Chris used the word the other day and I had to Google it to see what it meant, but didactic. So and, and it's something I talked about in the last podcast too. But there's not always a didactic element to I would say the vast majority of people that I follow on social media. Their, their desire is not to teach. They don't they don't want they don't really. I mean, it's not like they don't want you to know what they're doing. They just don't prioritize it. They would rather prioritize the flash. Like, hey, look look what I can do. Look look at my skills. But I feel like yeah. I'm this way, you're this way. There's a lot of drummers that you can definitely see. Like, if I'm going to play something, I want to at least give people the opportunity to, to dissect it and understand what it is. And there's just... I mean, why not? <laughs> because that, that's what I really want. I mean, that's cool that you played a really interesting chop. Can you just, like, walk it back and 
and then I can like learn it or is this like a major league sports thing where like I'll never be on your level and I can yeah. watch back and observe uh, you know from from yeah, afar. you know I, I did a podcast with and have hung many times with my friend Tim Buell who shout out to Tim Buell who does all the Vic Firth live and Zildjian live transcriptions who's pretty much gone through the dirty laundry of every professional drummer on the scene right now and when I sat down with him over coffee once, I said, "All right, man, you gotta, you gotta, like, tell me their patterns, like, you know." You gotta yeah, yeah, them. tell me the secrets. Give, yeah. give me the. He said, "Honestly, man, he's like, I wish I had more exciting news about these cats, but the, the bottom line is, they're using so many of the same basic patterns that we all use. It's just the difference I can tell with them is that they have just put in their time. They, you know, they, they can play these patterns." in all the subdivisions, in most settings and scenarios, and you can just tell they've played their asses off. He's like, it's there's really not a lot of, not, not a lot of like diet pill magic. They're like, what's the one secret sticking that'll make you a better drummer? It's like, well, yeah. it's it's like anything, right? Like, what's the one workout at the gym that'll make you buff? It's like, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> anybody yeah. who's gotten there, like Mr. Universe will tell you that uh, it's all the workouts, it's all the time, yeah. you know, so. It's what you put into it. Yes, it is a discipline. You have to care. Uh, you have to kind of fall in love with it in some capacity. If you're not somewhat in love with it, then what are you doing? Right. Um, and uh, trying to force yourself to be like a pageant child. Like, I'm going to be a rock star no matter what. It's like, well, <laughs> you should probably practice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and then the, the other part, too, is like um, at, at, one point, at what point do you – or where do you prioritize your individuality? Because there's no one that sounds like you, but it does kind of suck when you're listening back to your stuff and you're like, wow, I sound like everyone else. You know, just yeah. agree. Because to your earlier point, how much are you teaching the drum community that they don't already know? Yeah. Like, oh, I never heard of that rudiment. Yeah, you have. You just, I mean, even if you've heard the swing on it, like, hey, you can play a uh, single flam mill with one hand on the ride cymbal. I think this is a Stanton Moore thing, actually. I, I think, or somebody, I saw in a video. Single flam mill with your right hand on the ride cymbal and your left hand on the snare, and it goes da 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 That's how the rhythm of the hands comes out. So people ask about, like, how do I how do I take a rudiment and apply it to the drum set? Well, that's a really easy one. Or um, uh, the signature uh, double paradiddle with your right hand on the bell. Ding, ding, did the cat, ding, 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 did the cat, ding, ding, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean... There's going to be people that watch that and be like, wow, that's cool. Most drummers are going to be like, I've already seen this before. So that that's something I, I, that's really been on my mind lately. Like, how do you... And that's something I've always respected about you because nobody plays like you. That's, <laughs> Thanks, I, think we're, I think we're downplaying that right now. It's Thank very, you. very, very difficult to have a style that stands out that doesn't seem like a carbon copy of a dozen other guys. And it's just the nature of the beast. Like, you, you can't be Vinnie Caliuta... You can't be Gavin Harrison. You can't be Steve Gadd. I mean, you can't be these these legends. Uh, but I feel like you can be at the same time. You just have to like you have to be you doing can. It for the right reasons. You can be a carbon copy, or you could be yourself. But I don't think you could be both. Yeah, a really healthy moment for me was not putting other players on this like god tier pedestal. Uh, appreciating them for the hard work they've put in, but also not holding professional players in such an absurd high esteem that I'll never get there. It's like, you know, they probably had those feelings too at some point. And uh, that that echelon of players is a really good example because, you know, when when you're watching the the much-applauded drum battle or <laughs> drum the shed between Steve Gadd, Dave Weckl, and Vinnie Caliuta, which is kind of one of those, you watch that video and you're like, holy crap, that was just, that was the apex of jazz fusion madness at the time. Those three guys were the biggest innovatives, innovators for the most part in the public eye. And, you know, here they are at the Buddy Bridge Memorial, like what an honor. It's just absurd what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even know at the time that that was going to be immortalized right they're just they got paid that uh, they're there and they're, they're loving everything they're doing and they're probably all buds 
And who knows if Vinny was looking at Gad and he's like, man, I wish I had that guy's feel. And Gad's like looking at him and he's like, yeah, you wish you had my feel. I mean, he's like, <laughs> I wish I had your chops. <laughs> but but the point is that like those three dudes and many others, uh, they can sort of be on the same level of practice and understanding and sound completely different. Yeah. Just completely different. That's such a great idea. Uh, yeah, it's like, because Steve Gadd, in fact, the best moment of that entire thing is when he busts into his signature Mozambique funk groove. And oh, everyone, yeah. that's the biggest applause of the, because everyone knows exactly what that is. That and wasn't the biggest applause, homie. That wasn't, no, you're wrong. Oh, maybe not. Probably not. Vinny, but Vinny, Vinny got very loud cheers after all of his because. He's Vinny. Because of all this. Gantry is the goat. Well, not, not when you share a stage, stage with Steve and Dave, but I mean, he, he definitely he is the goat. Ass cheers. Vinny is, and, and I, I mean, I haven't watched the video in a while, but uh, without being hyperbolic, he's he has been my favorite drummer my entire career. But, but I okay, but maybe not the biggest cheers, but I did like that applause erupted when Steve Gadd did his solo and his first solo and then busted into the Mozambique groove because yeah. That elicits so much like it's not chops, but it just feels like butter. There's da, nothing da, 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 that yeah does that is choppy. Yeah, he's. Like, I mean, that's that's like in the sense of the word now. And and I actually, uh, I the reason why I know people cheered uh, loudest for Vinny, shameless plug, because I transcribed all of his parts. <laughs> I know you did. I saw you showed show me the video. And, and and I and I I after I did the video I found another guy on YouTube that did like a better transcription, like a more detailed and probably more accurate from what I saw transcription. But it was still a fun project to try to break some stuff down. But I think it was the linear sure. singles and it was some of the the flashier uh two against two patterns that he kind of made his own. He kind of made them uh instead of on the downbeat, made them on the upbeat sort of thing. The audience and he's got that like with the traditional well, they all play traditional weird that I didn't realize that right right away but i think there's something about like Vinny. he always ended with like a flourish like he would always Dude, like, his, a lot of times where he would just you know he, he his body language it like elicited that response from the the crowd but like yeah i mean i listened to steve gad solo from asia and i listened to you know doing stuff with drumeo and uh syncing up like some of the jazz stuff that he plays and it's just like it's super intricate nobody can do it like him but he's not going to put that on Instagram and be like, oh, damn, look at those chops. Holy shit. I got yeah. What was that pattern that you played? And it's like, that's just all straight feel and straight butter, like you were saying. That's all. Yeah. It, he, not he, chops. He just has, and that again, that boils down to individuality, right? Like, he may not have all the chops, but somehow just his individual approach to music and the instrument yeah. earned him his. In fact, uh, it was years ago, but there was a modern drummer, Paul where within the professional industry, he was the most coveted. So between all like the top drummers they interviewed and they said, who's your favorite, who's like the most influential, he won, Steve Gadd won. And it's a, they probably asked Vinny and Vinny's like, Steve Gadd's my favorite drummer. <laughs> Although I think Tony Williams is, was Vinny's favorite drummer of all, of all time. But I don't know, it's, it's, and to the point of these players, side note, when I'm on these tours, I have a lot of young drummers come up to me and ask, who are your favorite drummers? Mm -hmm. And I list off 10 people they've never heard of. Because I think they're expecting me, uh, and this is not a slight to them, it's, it's actually an inspirational thing to say, is that they're expecting me to maybe mention drummers that are within my genre or like within yeah. the, the touring scene I'm in. And so when I say Vinny Cayuta, Dave Weckles, Steve Gadd, uh, you know, Dennis Chambers, Jojo Mayer, when I, uh, Lenny White, when I mention these players, they're like, oh, oh, cool. I think I've heard of one of those. And I'm like, this is what you're going to do the moment you get home. Yeah. You're going to at least look up one video of each of these cats. They don't have to become your favorite, but like knowing the history of what you're doing is ridiculously important. <laughs> they're the ones that pioneered the road for you to do what you're doing now conceptually. Um, yeah. Yeah, not to get too deep on that subject, but that's, you know, I, and I have so many players now that I respect, you know, that are in sort of my world, of course, but they're not the ones really, they're influencing me in a modern way, but I still pull most of my stuff from the, the sort of 70s and 80s fusion scene and that innovation. So it's awesome. on the record. I think we got time for uh, one more question here. 
Okay. Got a. Let's see. What are what are uh, what are the drumming goals that you're trying to accomplish this year? What is the what is the big thing you're trying to accomplish before the end of 2021? Well, um, I actually took a big break from drums for from November to till about the last couple weeks. A healthy one. I used to have this existential mindset of like, oh, if I stop practicing, all my skills are going to leak out my ears and I'm not going to be able to play anymore. Yeah. But then I was like, you know, all my favorite players going up, there's no way they didn't take breaks, vacations, moments of reflection. And, and so I, I did it. I got some other work. I spent a lot of time with my family. And it ended up being a very healthy thing to do. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to comment too much on how, how weird times are for everybody. But times have been weird. It's no secret. And things are looking up. I do have a tour booked at the beginning of 2022. So that's good news. Okay. Um, Denver, right? No. No. All right. Well, we're out of time. So uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, nice try, Jeff. <laughs> My goals are to practice hard. Wait, was that facetious or are we actually out of time? We can be out of time. No, no, we're not out of time. I just really, I just really want... CM Harder. <laughs> I wanted you to say <laughs> You got me too. I was like, oh, well, my goals are get better. I see it. Like, books are already this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, is, the goals are to read all of Barnes and Noble's, you know, bestseller. Okay, clap, close the laptop. But no, I, I hope to practice a lot of new things. Um, what I'm, one, one thing I'm going to focus on this year, practice wise, for those of you who might be wondering, is I have. I have downloaded a bunch of material from Matt Garska, which I didn't want to be awesome because that would be too cliche that his educational material is awesome, <laughs> but it's awesome as hell. And I've decided to completely buy into like a very modern drummer's approach to things. And it's nice. been really educational. It's not a plug. It's just sometimes you just got to choose a path and just like do it for like six months and see what happens, right? And so uh, I chose I chose a lot of his stuff to work on, and so far it's been really illuminating. So nice. again, not a plug, but like that that that's what I'm doing. Um, I have I'm sitting on four records that are unreleased and a Royal Coda single. So there's going to be a lot of music coming out, which I'm really excited about. Some of it's absolutely bananas in terms of the playing and shreddage, and some of it's very I'll call it refined musicianship from us. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of a little bit for everybody. Uh, Royal Coda is now with BMG and Rise Records, so there's a lot of cool stuff on the horizon there. Didn't awesome. expect that to happen at 36, but it's happening. So, and uh, I'm also doing, I mean, I'm in the gym six days a week, uh, feeling better than I've ever felt in my life physically. Uh, I start Taekwondo in the middle of May. Nice. So th these may not be drumming specific, but I assure you they're all related. It's so... I've been on a I've been on a journey of trying to get myself healthier for the sake of drums. Hell yeah! So I know exactly That's, what you're talking about. It all comes around full circle, and yeah, I, I really would like to have you back on uh, a, a little uh, ways down the road just to talk about specifically how to prep for tour, mental health, things like that. That that's that's a big sure. thing we try to bring into this, but it doesn't always get talked about because you know it's no big secret. Nobody really talks about yeah. that, that much. They could be you know having a really rough go of it, but there, you still see them on Instagram putting out videos. That doesn't mean shit at the end of the day. I mean, for, for them, for them personally, they're still a human being. I think some of that is lost. Oh yeah. The social media shuffle. We, we need, we need to remember that the cloud does not represent real life. It's a mere fraction of what's really going on. Absolutely. And sometimes, sometimes almost intentionally. So we project something there that isn't real. So that's an important thing for people to remember, but yeah. So lots of drumming, lots of mental health, lots of reading. Lots of family time uh, before the tour in 2022. And um, yeah, so hopefully everybody likes all the music that's coming out. And that's what I got going on. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, man. This was this was great. It was, so much, it was great man. to listen to your laundry getting done in the background. That's, that's, that's what it, it sounds like a washing machine. It, 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 it's, laundry. It's, it's like just in the next room. It's like not even that loud. It's just funny yeah. because it's just like. Do, 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 do. Yeah. The, the most frustrating one is there. The other wall is shared by some dudes that are just producing hip hop beats all day, which I love. However, 
they their monitors and their subwoofers just shake like i'll be playing actively playing as hard as i can i can still feel the shake oh, just God. saying a lot so when i have to record something i have to be very strategic it's it's kind of insane <laughs> so that's a we're all paying rent here yeah, yeah exactly it's a shared space i mean you first have a place to play yeah so you just can't play at your uh at your house then no uh i just you know i got two kids my wife works from home it's just they would probably make time for me because they care about me a lot, but yeah. I just can't do that to them. I just can't. And uh, so this is, I make this work. I love this place though. So it's you have like a practice pad kit or something at your at your play, at your spot or a practice pad or something there, right? To... I got a pad, but uh, I, I want an electric kit just just for pattern development at 2 a.m. I would love to have like a Roland kit. That's the yeah, best. Yeah, actually, Woj Tech Darigowski, have you heard of him? Um, definitely follow him. Brett, you've heard of him? Yeah, I follow him. Yeah, he's a really, really good player. I don't really know. I think he lives in, like, Sweden or something like that. But he has a couple of videos where he just has the brain, the kick, snare, and hat for, like, a... I, he's endorsed by Roland or whatever. But he has that as a, at his apartment. Because then he's like, I can just, like, chop out ideas and, like, make notes and stuff. And then when I go to my studio, I can have that stuff. Like, so I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but it, it was kind no, of that's fun. perfect. He, like, I mean, shared I, his story how he's like, I made this work for me. Obviously, I have to keep it down. Like, I have you know, he, he's not married or anything, but he's like, I apartments don't or something, different. yeah, 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 yeah. If, if I, I think my an ideal situation for me is if I had a, a basic roll in setup, I don't need anything extravagant. And I, even if I just kept it in my garage, I mean, I live in Nashville, so the weather here is not bad. And like, yeah, if I just sat down for an hour every night and just plunked out ideas or at least for drilling and like keeping independent stuff up you know that alone is something that i would never overlook and am obsessed with so you know it'd be yeah so that's a good idea i, I wish i had more space because i'd love to just do a stripped down setup of just uh kick snare hat and just really challenge myself on you know like putting out minimalist practice and maybe 20 percent of the time like make an interesting video with just these three voices yeah and it's like a lot of people would be terrified. They're like, I have I without a double bass pedal or without like a bunch of cymbals or a huge setup. Like I don't even know what I would do. Yeah, look at JD Beck. That's my practice pad setup. Is essentially I have the my reflex pad as my snare pad, um, an old um, Vic Firth, one of those little yeah. six inch wood ones. I have that on a cymbal arm from the snare stand as my hi hat, and then I just have one of those Gibraltar kick pads, and it's just single kick snare hat. Mm -hmm. And that's my little practice setup for working stuff out and stuff out in my room. That's awesome. I think everybody should have a, a variation of that, honestly. And it's just like so, it's so much more tempting to go through, you know, your entire rig, sit down behind the big rig and put out a video with that. It feels a lot better than like, check out my practice pet kit video. It's like, nah, keep on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, you know, if you take social media out of the equation entirely, which is solid, you're like, your practice pad culture really, really defines how much you care about your craft. It's like, because yeah. playing on a practice pad for most people, especially when they're doing it in the beginning, is the most boring thing on earth. Yeah. It's a hunk of rubber on wood. Like, you really have to care about your hand development to make that into a routine. Absolutely. It's very hard for people. And I, I talk about it all the time with my students because I'm like, you know, did you do practice pad this week? They're like, no, but I played the kit. I'm like, you need both. You have like developing your hands here is so pivotal. It changed my life and became kind of a almost a therapeutic meditation and discipline to sit down and like do that for an hour. And yes, I watch Futurama in the background, whatever. But mm -hmm. like it's how I develop most of my time feels, my you know, getting getting new things under my belt that I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. Uh and then I take it to the kit. It's just it freaking works. Yeah. <laughs> so it's my last endorsement of practice stuff. But. Absolutely. And, and then also this podcast is sponsored by Reflex Practice Pads. Reflex, nice. The number one practice pad in the game. No, I'm just kidding. That's, <laughs> I mean, they are the best practice pads, though. That is they, they are. They really, they really are great practice pads. And I, and I, I love their page. They're very interactive with people. Yeah. Practice pads are awesome because they are a very simple, simple thing to, like, to, to physically manufacture. Yes. But practice pads are about the communities, right? You have people who are sharing, especially like marching drummers, that community is nuts. And yeah. 
practice pad companies being so like I'm with movement, but all their, all their, like, like that's the thing. When I made a video for movement, I was like, well, all practice pads are rubber or wood or both. So that that's, you know, but it's, it's like about the community. It's about this motivation to be like, okay, well this one actually doesn't have as much bounce. This one has bounce yeah. just like a snare drum. It, it's, it's amazing how much you can get out of such a simple idea and it's amazing that you have something where you could be without a drum set for a month and still keep your hands in shape. I don't know another instrument you could do that with. So that's true. That's really true. You could yeah. be without the instrument itself and be able to keep up at least most of your, you know, your chops. Is yeah. that interesting? It is. All right. I think that's about uh, the time we have. I uh, really appreciate you being cool. again. Uh, let's well, let's definitely. So pencil in uh getting you getting you on again to talk more about touring especially um after you actually start touring again so yeah yeah I'll, i will be on i the drum community has given so much to me over the years that i will give whatever back i i love being on these uh been on a few and this one's been great you guys are great dudes so anytime thanks man yeah right. thanks for everybody for tuning in see you next time take care dudes take happy, happy drumming <laughs> <laughs>